Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Working with children and families and seeing children, just to your point, getting disciplined and having parents be very frustrated and tired and thinking that we're doing everything. We're doing all the behavioral things. We're, you know, we're doing all the charts and we're doing, you know, we're taking away all of the privileges and they're still struggling in school. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Before we start, I'd like to take a moment and honor this tremendous feat, my 150th episode. When I launched this podcast, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I just wanted an excuse to talk to other regular, everyday women like me who might be willing to share their diagnosis journeys and talk about their experiences with ADHD. I found it to be tremendously healing to talk openly about this stuff that for so long had been so deeply shameful and stigmatized. But I had no idea when I released these conversations into the wild that these stories would be so deeply impactful for others. And then to think listeners would reach out to me and want to share their stories too as a way to help other women navigating life through this neurodivergent lens. It's still so unbelievable to me that I get the privilege of meeting and interviewing so many extraordinary humans and ushering these stories into the world. So I'd like to take a moment to extend my deepest gratitude to all of the 150 inspiring guests who have shared their personal journeys on this podcast. Your openness and your vulnerability have helped to provide all of us with a richer understanding of the neurodivergent experience. And to you, my esteemed listener, I want to sincerely thank you for joining me on this journey, for leaving me encouraging reviews that truly keep me going each week for emailing me your support and letting me know how much you appreciate these conversations too. I honestly don't even know how to adequately convey how much your feedback and kind words have meant to me. So thank you. Well, okay, here we are at episode 150, in which I interview Gloria Ward. Gloria is a therapist and a professional coach with a passion for helping individuals achieve their personal and professional goals. She's also the founder of the Tailored Glory Consulting Group, which consists of four coaches who work with individuals and families of all ages and backgrounds on executive functioning, behavioral health coaching, ADHD coaching, and more. Gloria and I talk about the process of teaching executive functioning skills to neurodivergent children and adults, as well as how she integrates therapy and behavioral health coaching in her practice with her ADHD clients. Without further ado, here is my interview with Gloria. 
I would love to hear a little bit about your ADHD diagnosis journey before we get started. So how long ago were you diagnosed with ADHD and what were some of the things that led you to really put two and two together? So I was officially diagnosed last year in 2022, probably the latter part of the year at age 48. (laughs) So I've always known that I was a little bit different, that I thought differently than other people. And I kind of reacted to things differently than other people. And for me, probably around the time that I start, that I went to college and started to learn, and I, you know, went to college for psychology and started to learn all the things. And, and I kind of got into the ADHD part of it. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's me. <laughs> that sounds like me, <laughs> you know? And so I've always known and then kind of really understanding some of the actual symptoms and, you know, the criteria. And I thought, oh yeah, that's, I, that's so me. And then it kind of just takes me back to all of the things that were so unusual, right? That I thought were unusual that people would tell me were behavioral kinds of things. You know, you need to not interrupt. You need to slow down. <laughs> you need to think through things. And yeah. So getting the diagnosis was affirming for me, if you will, just, oh, I get it. I understand myself now. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, and I remember the first time I heard that statistic of like kids with ADHD hear 30,000 more negative remarks when they're growing up, which I don't know how they came up with that number, but it's believable when you start thinking about all of those traits, right? Where it's like years were told over and over and over again, like, yeah, stop interrupting or just all of these things that sort of naturally bubble up with it, within us as children uh, were taught to suppress over and over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. I can remember all of that. Last year for me, I was doing a lot of things and a lot of things going on with like school and work and all of that. And I just got to a point where I could no longer function. And I just, I couldn't function anymore. It's <laughs> having a hard time. And so the idea of I need, I need to do something. And like I said, yeah, it was very affirming for me because just of what you said, all those years of my life, just hearing, um, you know, it's very damaging to your self-esteem that, Something must be wrong with me. I can't do things the other the way other people can. I can't focus as long as other people can on these kinds of things. I can't finish a task. I, why can't I do an outline and do a report over like a week or two? Why do I have to procrastinate and wait to the last second? Why am I always so tired? So all of those things. Yeah, you know, it's I, I feel like I've pontificated about this, how so many of us are diagnosed with depression and uh, and anxiety long before an adult diagnosis, right? And it's that feeling, I like, I feel like the question of what is wrong with me is, is, oh, I feel like that might even be the diagnosis, because I feel like, like you're saying, it just reminded me of how for so many of us, our intentions are pure, our intentions are good, right? Like, it's this disconnect between our intention and how we're being perceived by others. This, I, this, the way in which we are constantly unintentionally disappointing the people around us that leads to the depression. It's not this sort of this, it, you know, sudden thing we've caught like the flu, but it's really this buildup over and over and over again of like, why am I this way? What is wrong with me? Why can't I be different? All of those questions that we have inside of us of feeling like at the end of the day, like we're disappointing the people around us. 
Absolutely. Something that you said is so interesting for me, this idea of depression and anxiety. And so, so many people have those diagnoses and that's what's being treated. No one ever stops to think that there's a cause for that, right? The, 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 the reason <laughs> I'm feeling anxious or depressed, just like you said, you know, the disappointment, other people disappointing yourself, wanting to get things done and not being able to do it and thinking, like I'm a failure, right? Like I, I, I just, and simp- I simply can't, I simply can't do that. You know, I don't know how many times I just, I had told myself over the years, like, that's not for me, right? That's not for me. My personality doesn't work that way. My brain doesn't work that way. I can't do those things, you know? And, and it's like, wait, no, I can do anything. <laughs> I just need to do it differently, right? I need to find my way to do things. And so it, it, you're right, This the, the misdiagnosis, the we're treating this this one symptom, but we're not really getting to the cause of what's going on. And so that's what's really important for me, especially for kids, right? To be able to help parents understand there's a reason for all behavior. Behavior just doesn't happen, right? Like, you know, your your child is not struggling with the impulsivity or um, schoolwork simply because they want to make your life difficult. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that, there's something, there's, that is a sign that they need some more support. What else is going on? Yeah, that I feel like is one of those realizations that transformed how I parent, right? Which is this understanding that a child always wants to do well. So if something is happening, it's not, you know, it, there's, there's a block there. Like there's a place in which they need support. And so our job is to help them get there and to not, you know, chastise them or punish them or all of the things I think our parents did <laughs> uh, in terms of like the character, right? You have just like, oh, you're being lazy. You know, you need to work harder. All of those ways in which it's like, I'm going to punish it. I'm going to punish this laziness out of you. Uh, and, and really realizing that again, like, coming back to that idea of like the intention is always to do well. So if it's, if that's not happening, there's something there that's, there's a disconnect. So do you work primarily with kids or do you work with adults or who do you work the most with? Sure. We actually work with adults and kids. And so we do executive functioning for children and starting with, I guess we start about age seven or eight, right? And so because we understand that executive functioning is something that grows and and we're, we're, we're taught and um, through like learning and, you know, it's something that is, it's skills-based, right? We build executive function skills, right? And so come to finding out um, children that may struggle, ADHD, autism, some of, you know, and some of the, there's a barrier there then to building the, the, the skills in the way that teachers and parents kind of expect them. So expect them to do. And so we work with children primarily with those executive functioning skills, we work with children that have ADHD, but we also work with adults that have ADHD too. And ADHD and some behavioral health types of things that go along with that. So for sure, the anxiety and depression that comes from reaching for goals that are um, sometimes a struggle to attain because of because of you know the diagnosis, because of ADHD, or because not really understanding. And so my what is important for me, like I said, is really helping parents understand because I was one of those kids, like you just talked about, that was super understood. I can't even imagine how many report cards said, you know, she's so smart. (laughs) She's so smart, but if she would just apply herself. And I was one of those kids, I I knew I was smart. I was obnoxious is the word that I like to use, actually. I was that obnoxious kid that would love to let the adults around me know how smart I was. And, you know, like, yeah, that's not really what it is. 
but I had a hard time controlling what I should and shouldn't say. Right. And I working in, you know, we do behavioral health coaching. Um, I'm also a therapist. And so working with children and families and seeing children, just to your point, getting disciplined and having parents be very frustrated and tired and thinking that we're doing everything. We're doing all the behavioral things. We're, you know, we're doing all the charts and we're doing, you know, we're taking away all of the privileges and they're still struggling in school. And even to the idea of parents really worrying about friendships, you know, because sometimes the ADHD gets in the way of social stuff. And so I've got kids that really have a hard time making friends and because of the impulsivity, because of the things they kind of blurt out and say and hearing parents worry and be concerned about, you know, social things. And so I specifically work with kids and families because I want to be able to bridge that gap. I want to help kids understand like there is nothing wrong with you. And there are some wonderful things about your ADHD that we consider superpower. There's things that you can do (laughs) that other people can't do. And you need to know what those strengths are and use them to your advantage. And and so there, there are workarounds for everything that's a struggle. And so helping them understand that, helping them find their path and helping their parents know exactly how to support them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's a mouthful. Right. So, uh, one, cause one of the things I've often said since my diagnosis was like, I had never heard the term executive functioning until after I was diagnosed with ADHD and started to do my own research. And then I was like, why isn't this taught explicitly in school? You know, because I felt like I, God, my life would have been so different if I had understood what was happening at a much earlier age. And, you know, and, and I think also just the explicitness that a lot of us wish we had had more, you know, I think about all the times that my parents were like, go do your homework. And, 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 and they just assume you know what to do, right? There's, and so, so many of us, I think who are diagnosed in adulthood had that feeling of like, everybody else seems to have the manual. I didn't get the manual. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And you talk about like, it's the same thing with relationships and conversation and like all of these ways in which in our life, we feel ill-equipped because we didn't have very, very specific instructions that were needed when it came to like the executive dysfunction breakdown. So how do you teach executive functioning to like a seven-year-old? Like, what does that look like? How do you explain that to children in a way that they would understand? Sure. A lot of it has to do with modeling, right? And talking to children about what kinds of things get in the way for them. Right. So let's just use the social aspect first, you know, cause that's one of the things. And so Kids will come and say, you know, I don't have any friends. Like I want to, I want to make friends, but I don't know what to say. Okay, and so then we start with this idea of, okay, who is it that in your in your class that you want to make friends with? Like, tell me who who you, who you think is cool, you know? And this idea of what would you say? And well, maybe I'll say this. And what do you think they might say back? And kind of go, walking them through kind of that stuff, like because really. Executive functioning is just being able to think through the whole thing, right? Being able to think from the beginning to the end, and that's kind of what gets in the way. I don't, I don't know what to do next, and so kind of helping them with that. And it works for social social situations. It also works for like the schoolwork and things, right? This idea of being organized. So we know being organized is a thing, you know. Okay, we can organize all of our stuff, but what do you do next? Once you do this one piece, then what's the next thing that you have to do? And sometimes for little kids, and as they get older. We do it for adults. Sometimes we work backwards. Like, what's the end goal? And what do you have to do from there and go backwards until we get to the very beginning of it? But a lot of talking through it and then hand-holding through it, modeling and doing 
um, role plays if necessary. I mean, that's, there's a lot of that, you know. What would you say if your friend says this back to you? What's the appropriate thing to say? And kind of just helping them take step by step by step, like, oh, okay, I, I have this. And then practice. <laughs> right, yeah. I think that was uh, one of the things that was fascinating to me when I thought about you know, oh, the signs were there all along when it came to my ADHD was how often I did rely on scripts, social scripts, you know, of like, what am I going to say when I get into this situation? Uh, what are some things? And even my husband has like these, you know, he would say he would have these, like, keep these questions in his back pocket when he meets new people. One of his favorite ones is like, what are you reading these days? Because it's like, everybody wants to tell you what they're reading, right? And it's like, immediately puts the onus on the other person to talk. But like, how important it is to have those like, memorized or, in, or you you know, to have those tools in your back pocket that for those of us who really do struggle, especially with the anxiety of, of yeah, what to say next. Um, gosh, so important. So when you looked back over your, the course of your life through this new lens, uh, what were some, I know you talked a little bit about childhood, but what were some of those things that you think of where you're like, oh yeah, the signs were clearly there all along? You know, the one thing that really stands out for me is that I I can remember years ago, I was very young and I wanted to build a website and I did not know how to do that. And I can remember being very focused on, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this website um, for a business I was starting. I was like probably in my twenties and I stayed up all night. I started doing it at, I would say three or four o'clock in the afternoon. The next thing I know, the sun was coming up, but I, like that time had gone by so quickly. I just remember, you know, how did, how did like 12 hours go by so fast? I, I can't. And so always the hyper-focus, right? Always, if I needed to get something done, I could just sit down and I could do it. And I, I've always been very creative. And so I could teach myself to do almost anything like that particular day. I taught myself how to, how to you know, <laughs> build a website without any knowledge of how to do it, knowing how to do it. But yeah, it's always been that way. You know, if I get on something, I'm, I'm on it. Again, interrupting, I still do that. I, you know, at my age, I still have a hard time waiting my turn. <laughs> I'm having a conversation with someone and I, I have this thought, this idea, and like, I want to say it right away. And I have people that are close to me are like, okay, Gloria, do you, do you want to say something? Like, yes, I do. <laughs> because it's, that's always been something that's been for me, right? Struggling with the impulsivity, you know, interrupting, procrastination, school. I could never, you know, in high school, they teach you how to write an outline. We talked about that earlier, how to write an outline and get everything organized to write a, a huge paper, term paper. Oh my gosh, if I try to write an outline, it's going to be a hot mess <laughs> because I can't do that. I have to sit down in front of blank paper and just write, but it's going to come to me and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to get an A, you know, and I, I can remember telling a teacher that and I'm like, that doesn't work. That doesn't work for anyone. Like you're just like, yeah, it actually worked for us. <laughs> you know, like at the last second and it just kind of flows. And so it's always been that way. And so as an adult, kind of looking back on it, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that was my ADHD. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Right. And um, not only that, but like, like you said, it has to be the last minute. Like, it's not going to come out. Even if I tried to do it a week in advance and maybe convince myself that I would have all this time to edit and all this time to like, it doesn't work that way. And I wish I 
could tell my younger self, like, don't spend all this time feeling bad about your process. Your process works. So accept it and and be glad about it. And don't spend all of this time feeling like you're doing something wrong, right? <laughs> or even like you said, the, the, you know, spending all night building a website, which I've definitely done in the past, right? And that hyper-focus where you're like, oh my God, I've had to go to the bathroom for like three hours and I'm on the edge of my seat and I haven't even noticed. But, you know, the ways in which we do those things when we are in hyper-focus, but then we come out of it and then we're like, I'm, you know, essentially think of ourselves as lazy because we can't do, you know, taxes or something, <laughs> you know, that's incredibly boring. And, and, you know, the fact that it fascinates me how our sense of self is that we are lazy. And yet there's so much overwhelming uh, evidence to the contrary. And that was actually one of the things my therapist pointed out to me, which I didn't even understand was ADHD. I thought I had bipolar because I would, you know, have these manic episodes where I would do stuff like that. And then she was like, like, but I would come into therapy and complain about how I was this lazy, messed up person who could never get anything done. And she was like, what are you talking about? Like you do all of this crazy stuff. Um, but we don't see ourselves that way. I'm like, why is our self-concept so messed up? That's that's my question to you as a therapist. Yeah, but I, I do think it goes back to what you said earlier. And this is so unfortunate, but to my point about why I want to work not just with children, but also with families, right? Because to be completely honest, our self-concept is messed up because society has us feeling that way. That's what it is, right? Like it's everyone else. <laughs> it's everyone else. It's not us. <laughs> but the reality, reality of it is, is that because it's, the, you know, neurotypicals, right, operate a different way. And so that's kind of how the world is set up. And so when you are different, it's, it's been that way from the beginning of time, no matter what the difference is, different, different differences make people a little bit crazy. <laughs> they don't seem to understand. And so it's always, it's always that. And, and so you feel different. Right? My process is different. I do things different than my friends. I'm doing things differently than what my teachers are trying to teach me to do. They're telling me to do it one way. I've tried it and I failed. So I must be a failure. And so where is that concept of just like your therapist? Like, no, but you got it done. You just had a different path. Right. And, you, you know, being able to rethink through some of those things so that, you know, I, I don't want to see kids grow up with this that negative self-concept anymore. Like it's sad. <laughs> You know, it's definitely sad. And so it's, you know, really important to, to pick out strengths. If you have ADHD, it can often feel overwhelming to find the right treatment. And then when you finally do get an appointment with your local clinician, there's no guarantee that they will have the adequate background or understanding of ADHD in adults, especially in women. You might end up leaving that appointment more confused and disheartened than when you entered. That's where Done comes in. Done is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. With experienced clinicians who know exactly what to look for, you can start getting personalized care as soon as today or tomorrow. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Visit get.donefirst.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, that's get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn ADHD into your strength. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Well, it's funny, you know, I started out as a coach and now I'm going back to school to become a therapist because I felt like a lot of the clients I was working with had had a negative point of view about therapy, had had a negative experience with therapy. They really wanted coaching because they wanted something, you know, actionable. They wanted, you know, goal oriented. They 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 needed that executive functioning structure and support from coaching. But a lot of the time we ended up talking about childhood trauma and stigma and all of that stuff where I was sort of feeling like I am a coach, but what I I'm acting like a therapist, this feels unethical, but at the same time, it feels integral to the conversation, right? And so I was like, let me just like go back to school, (laughs) get my certification because I feel like I can't do one without the other, right? And so I'm curious, now you were a therapist first, is that why you pursued coaching or, or you know, is that what was, talk me through your experience with just sort of therapy and coaching and what is the difference for you and how do you integrate those? That's like eight questions in one, but. (laughs) Yeah. And look at the difference between coaching and therapy. Coaching is very focused on the here and now, right? And it's interesting what you said, because you can't take away the past because the past is what got us to today, right? And so of course we're talking about all of the things that are the barriers to us moving forward right now. Sometimes it is past things, right? When clients start to talk about things that require a new diagnosis, meaning if I'm doing ADHD coaching and that diagnosis is already there, it is what it is. When they start talking about things that may require a new diagnosis, then they need to go to therapy, right? Because I don't do that as a coach. And I think the misconception is that if you're doing coaching, that you can't really talk about past things, well, you can, again, like I said, you need to touch some of, talk some of that. Like, where's that anxiety come from? And especially if we're talking about ADHD, just as we've been talking this whole entire time, the anxiety and the sadness, whether we call it depression or not, right? The sadness that people feel come from this idea of failure and their self-concept. And so you do have to incorporate it. I think what makes me a really good coach and what will also make you a really good therapist, right? (laughs) Which is that you have, we have that, those experiences, right? As a therapist doing coaching, as you're going to school, you you, you probably already know like some of the things that that we're taught in, in clinical mental health counseling is like how to validate, how to move conversations along, how to, how to bring people from one place to the other. Um, you know, we call that attending skills. And so the things that you say and that you don't say to kind of help, you know, clients kind of come to their own understanding of what their goals are. It's, and if you're a therapist and you move into coaching, then you already have those skills, right? You already have all of that to do, right? And coaching is really about, okay, what are your goals? What's happening right now? You're trying to build a business. You're trying to go back to school and things are getting in the way. You've got a great paper that you need to do. You're not doing, if it's a kid that you're not doing well in your math class and you need to be more organized or whatever the pressing present issue is, then I'm using my therapy skills to get them from where they are in this very present moment to where they want to be. And for me, that's what coaching is. I'm going to meet you where you are today and take you to where you want to go. And 
you know, if we have to talk about the past, it's just to help us understand how you got to where you are today. And that's it. That makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, I, I almost at this point, I feel like that would be essential. If I was looking for an ADHD coach, I would honestly look for a coach who already has counseling background because for me, they are so integral and, um, yeah. Right. And, and so much of this, uh, of moving forward as so much of establishing new behavior patterns is examining why you had those other behaviors in the first place. You know, like it just feels like you can't have one without the other. And, and to, <laughs> um, but I also think that requires a lot of training. I mean, you have, you have how many degrees now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how I got through school. <laughs> I think I got through it. Um, I know, right? I well, I want to talk about that too because one of the things you know I do talk about with a lot of my guests who are black women is the is education and kind of the masking in especially in higher education, but just masking in general, right? And and how the stigma around mental health and mental health diagnoses. How did you, I guess, like come out, or did your family members were they were they did they already know? Sometimes I, sometimes I feel like we're like the last ones to know and everyone else is like, oh yeah, we already knew that. Yeah. I, I don't think for me and in my particular family structure, it wasn't only anything that I had to share with anyone really. It's really for my, it was my own kind of process that I was going through. I'll be honest with you. For me, the reason why I got the official diagnosis is because I was finally ready to take medication. Right. And so I've always known that and again, you know, getting the training, I could self-diagnose myself. Like it's, it's, you know, I'm totally, you know, and, and we do this thing, you know, where it's kind of like, and people do it a lot now. And once you have the official diagnosis, it, it becomes annoying, but <laughs> people have this habit of saying, oh, I'm so ADHD. Like, oh, I have ADHD. And people do it that are not, you know, neurodivergent. And once you realize, you're kind of like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to make, you know, not going to make fun of that or <laughs> make it like a, a flipping kind of idea. But I did it too. Um, but I knew that I was pretty sure that it was ADHD because of what I understood about ADHD, right? Um, and I was going to school. I was getting a, a master's degree. It's getting the, the most recent one that I have. And I was working like two jobs. And I was just taking care of like, you know, life and all the things that I need to take care of. And as I got older, I, you know, I'll be 50. And it just... What I used to be able to do, the masking that I did and the and, and the overcompensating became harder. I just couldn't, I, I was having a hard time keeping up with everything and I was always tired and my grades were, you know, affected by it. And I, I, I it was harder for me to pull out that last minute term paper at the last second. Like I could do 10, 15 years ago. And it was just, as we get older, the, the, the normal progression and, you know, sometimes the, the, the decline in function, right? And coupled with the ADHD, it was just too much for me. And I had finally come to a place and I'm not one that I'll be honest to, you know, as a therapist, even as a coach and someone with ADHD, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of medication. And so I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to take it. <laughs> I just really don't. It's interesting because, you know, I think therapists make the worst patients as well because they tell everyone else to take your medication. <laughs> but I didn't really want to. Um, I wanted to think I could do it on my own, which is, you know, that, that happened so much. Like, I don't want to have this extra help. I've been doing it all these years. I can do it. 
And I, I think my body and my brain just finally said, you cannot do it. You need help. You're not going to graduate unless you do this. And so I went to the doctor and that's the person that actually had that reaction the way the family would. And I said, you know, he gives me the the test, you know, to take and I'm, you know, I'm talking and I'm, I'm, you know, scribbling all the answers down. And I said, yeah. And I think it's time for me to have like Adderall or something. And he took it from me. He barely looked at it and he says, okay, yeah. So, and I'm thinking, you knew this all along, <laughs> but you know, this is the doctor I've been going to. And he's thinking, you absolutely have ADHD. Yes. <laughs> so here's the meds. You take them. And so I've been taking Adderall. I'm a person that doesn't take it every day. I, I've talked to some other people that feel as though they need to take it every day. I, you know, I talked to my doctor about it and I, we've decided that on the days that I have lots to do and I really need to focus. So I don't have the extended release one. I kind of just have the as needed. And I take some days where I kind of need to focus and then other you know days I'm okay without it. Um, and that was kind of how we went through that at, at, at that time because I was so inundated with schoolwork and all of those things. So he said, listen, you don't need to, you don't need to take it every day. Take it when you know you're going to wake up and you're going to have a day where you've got a million and one things to do and you're likely not to get it done and do it. And so that's what I do. And it works. Um, and in those days I, I feel the difference, like, oh, I can focus and I can get, you know, I can get through some things and, you know, if it's the weekend and I have nothing to do, then I don't take it, you know? And so I think for everyone, it's different. Like I said, I know a lot of people that like, no, I got to take it every day or I'm not going to be able to function. And that's great. Some people, the ADHD meds don't work and they take other things. And so for everyone, whatever works, you know, talk to your doctor and your, your therapist and kind of get what's going to work for you. Well, it's interesting when you say like, I, I want to be able to do it on my own, right? And I'm like, okay, where does that come from? Because that's something we talk about all the time on this podcast, where I'm like, is this ADHD? Or is it because I'm an angry feminist? Uh, <laughs> right? Because it's like, that feeling, I think, as women, especially, right, you know, we feel like we have to have exhausted all resources before we ask for help. And medication is essentially help, right? It's support. And so we stubbornly are like, no, I need to figure this out on my own, because it's a sign of failure if I need to help, right? And so we're like, okay, let's unpack that. But then I also, and I'm just thinking off the fly here, because I've never made this connection before right now. But you know, one of the things I feel is really important with parenting neurodivergent children and why we end up with these bogus diagnoses like PDA, which I, I, I don't know about you, but I think PDA is a ridiculous diagnosis, but, <laughs> but uh, pathological demand avoidance. But I'm like, the reason why there is demand avoidance with neurodivergent children is because oftentimes parents kind of swoop in and say, this is how we're going to fix you. And so they're saying, so the child is saying, you've decided there's something wrong with me and I need fixing. So you fundamentally think that I'm who I am is wrong, right? And so then I'm going to become demand avoidant. And so I think about this idea of how we are often reject this idea of support because support often to us has looked like fixing us, fixing who we fundamentally are as opposed to helping us. And I think there's a real specific difference there that in childhood, it's like it got messed up where we felt like all help and like I said, I'm like, I don't know how clear this is because I'm just thinking this right now, but I'm like, maybe we feel like help is a rejection of who we are. You know what I mean? Um, and that's why we become demand avoidant. So I don't know. But it could also just be that we're women and and we're taught to not want, you know, to, that we're also taught. I think it's all of those things. But <laughs> But I think there is a specific... 
there's so much to just say, I don't like medication. I feel like it's so much more nuanced than that, right? Like I have a real trouble. I have such issues, internal issues with psychotropic medication for the same reasons that you all, that you talk about, right? Which is like, I should be able to figure this out or who, you know, why am I, you know, what's wrong with me essentially that I need this? Why can't I be like everybody else? Anyway. I think there's something there though, right? Like I think there's something there in terms of feeling like anything that helps us is fixing us. And therefore the being needing fixed is something I think we have this like visceral reaction to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't know exactly where it comes from. I, I think about, you know, when we're, we're raising children and it's an idea of helping and, but not helping too much, right? Helping, you know, because you want them to be able to problem solve and, you know, and use their, you know, critical thinking skills. And so this idea, and yeah, I, 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 it has so much to do with the stigma, right? Around mental health in general, right? And, and, and not being able to, I guess what we've been talking about, complete task or do things the way other people have. And, I, we get stuck, I guess, in this idea you're talking about like the kids and they, they're, they're trying to be independent. Like I can do it myself and I want to do it. And, you know, somewhere, like you said, and then I'm not sure where it is, but there it gets, it, it gets confused. This idea of you are strong and independent and you can do all the things, right. But you can't do all the things by yourself. Like we're not an Island. And so for, for some, you don't want your children to be so dependent that they, are helpless, right? And at the same time, you want to be able to offer help. And so I, I you know, along the way, I, I do believe society just kind of gets us <laughs> in this place where it's kind of, you know, no, something, something's wrong with me if I have to take medication. Something's wrong with me if I can't, you know, I can figure everything else out. The other thing about ADHD, though, that's interesting is because there are, there are some things that aren't easily figured out, right? So we talk about the superpowers and lots of people don't like that word, but um, the reality of it is, is there's so many things that we're really good at, right? That would be a struggle or difficult for, for neurotypicals. And so maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's an idea of like, no, like I, you know, I, I can do all these other things. I should be able to do that. You know, <laughs> so like, why can I do, why can I do the small little thing? And it's the thing we can do great big things like knock out a paper in one hour. That's like 10 pages and it's amazing. And you get an A. So if I can do that, I should be able, like you said, to do my taxes or I should be able to write thank you letters after, you know, and send down and put them in the mail. I should be able to. And so I think that's part of it too. You know, I can do all these great things. Why can't I do this one little stupid thing? Why can't I get off the couch today? <laughs> Why can't I, you know, go make dinner? And I think that's what it is. It seems like it's, it, it seems like they're such small tasks that are difficult. Right. And so that I might, that might have something to do with it. Right. Yeah, that confusion about why is this difficult for me when other things are so easy. But I think there's also this like emphasis on consistency that we get from the beginning, right? In school, which is like you have to be good at all things. The valedictorian gets is is gets A's in everything, right? And so you're rewarded for consistency. And that's something we are just not consistent. <laughs> it's not in our DNA. And so I think there is that questioning of like, well, I don't know why I'm good at some things and not others and what makes, you know, it's really the, I think what is so incredibly eye-opening about this diagnosis and learning more about how our brains work and executive function and all these things that I had no idea about my whole life. 
what is the this idea of like, oh, this explains why some things feel effortless and why some things feel difficult and what you're going to need to spend extra time on and all of that stuff. Um, but I also think when you were talking about like, you know, at 48, feeling like you weren't able to keep up anymore that led to the diagnosis. I feel like a lot of women are diagnosed in their 40s because they're just fed up. They're just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Right. Like I am not I am saying no, I'm not saying yes. I'm putting up boundaries like I am sick and tired of doing all this stuff. And so it's like, you just get to that point where you're, I don't know if you're old enough that you're just like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. And that's why I feel like a lot of us end up in the diagnosis stage too, where it's like, or, you know, and then they, we blame hormones and perimenopause. But I think a lot of the time it's just like, no, I, I finally feel empowered enough to say no to a lot of these things I used to take on. Absolutely. The, the boundary setting. And along with that comes a, an increased sense of, of self, right? So that's the idea too, because if you're struggling with people pleasing and your self-esteem issues, and then you get to that, like you're right, you get older and it's like, I don't care anymore. Like, I don't care who likes me. I don't care if you're mad. I don't care if you don't talk to me. Like, I need to kind of just sit down and take care of myself. Um, and, and perhaps it's that sitting still, right? And sitting with yourself, that's that realization of, wait a minute. Maybe all this time there's been something, right? And you kind of look at it. And I think, you know, especially for a woman, you're, like you said, you're always going, you're taking care of your family, you're taking care of everyone else. And who has time to really do self care? And so, yeah, placing those boundaries, you know, and starting to take care of yourself, then you start to realize, wow, all this time I've been making it so much harder than it needs to be, right? And so now it's time for me to take care of myself. And that's when the, the, the you know, you start reading things and you're like, oh my goodness, this has been me all along. And then you want to go, you know, and get the diagnosis and get help. And it's it's okay. You know, it's, it's the journey. It is what it is. <laughs> well, not only that, but also like that realization that this is not the universal experience. I think so many of us think that this is everyone's experience. And then to suddenly realize that, oh, no, I was actually struggling when other people weren't, I think is was a big deal too, right? Realizing how much I was struggling and I was treading water so much, I couldn't even acknowledge that I was struggling in these situations when other people, you know, just do things effortlessly. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know what's interesting though? To your point, I don't know that everyone does do it effortlessly, right? I think there's a lot of courage in this idea of being able to say, this is hard and I need help, right? We have this uptick of um, diagnoses, right? In, in, in lots of areas. But if everyone were able to be really honest with themselves, I don't know, would there be more? <laughs> you know, the idea is how many people really are struggling and just refuse to accept, acknowledge, you know, they don't, you know, are not able to say, you know, yeah, I need help to your point. They just, you know, refuse help. And um, it's really hard when we're talking about parents and kids. And sometimes that's a very gentle um, conversation you have to have with parents, right? When they're, when a diagnosis is coming, because for that same reason, parents are kind of like, they, they look at it as, so, even parents look at it, something's wrong. Like, I don't want my child to have any you know, quote unquote diagnosis of anything of ADHD. That means, right? That and 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 understandably, for, from a parent's perspective, what you're looking at then often is like, I just don't want life to be harder for them. You know, I just don't, oh my gosh, I don't want, you know, I want labels and I want things to be harder. Truth of the matter is, it's hard already. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the the diagnosis allows support, right? It allows the people, the teachers, and school, and everyone around to say, okay. 
it, it opens up doors for your child to have the extra things that they need to be able to get the support so that they can be successful. And so um, I, I think, again, what we've been talking about, just this idea of acceptance right, and having the courage to say, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything other than I need I need help. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, I'm not broken. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not crazy because I stay up all night and I, you know, I'm not um, bad. I'm not a bad kid because I have a hard time controlling my impulses. You know, I'm not obnoxious because I interrupt my friends. Like, you know, like all of those things and, and redirecting that, like, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. You know, it, it just, it just means you need some extra support. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. Ah, It is so difficult because I I know with... um, with my son, who's about to go into seventh grade, like we, I really, both my kids were diagnosed after I was, and my daughter who's in high school has an IEP or not an IEP. She has a 504 for, um, study, you know, for extra time on tests and, you know, some of the quiet areas and some of the things that are really meaningful for her. But one of the things my husband and I struggle with with my younger child is the stigma of the diagnosis in school, right? So like we were really, you know, at first when I wanted to get my kids diagnosed, my husband was like, oh, but what are the label, the label of ADHD? And I was like, dude, 
we're already labeled, like you said, you know, we're already going to be getting labels. I've had labels my whole life, but those labels were lazy, disorganized, you know, all of the bad student, all of those, those were my labels. So let's replace them with this understanding. So for him, I think it was, for, so for my son, I was, think it was super important to get the diagnosis so that he could start to understand his own thinking, like you said. But one of the things we really struggle with is how is he going to be stigmatized at school by his teachers with a 504? Like what sort of clasps is, are he going to be put in? Is he going to be tracked differently? Because he does really, really well in school. Like he's a high honor student. And so we sort of we're trying to think about like, which is the best time, you know, get him a 504 that it's not going to hinder how he is viewed because it's ADHD is still so stigmatized and still so understood. And so the stereotypes are there in the in the classroom. And we're in like a rural environment where I don't feel like the teachers have any clue the spectrum of ADHD, uh, you know, in kids, especially kids with who perform well and have high anxiety. So we're like every year, we're kind of like trying to figure out like, what is the best decision until he, you know, with my daughter, I feel like she's old enough that she can advocate for herself. And so, like you said, she doesn't have to lead with, I have ADHD. She's old enough to now say, I need these accommodations. And for us, the diagnosis allows us to ask for help without having it to be, you know, we don't have to always say it's ADHD. We can just ask for help now because it gives us the permission. Um, but anyway, I'm like, when you were talking about that with school, I was like, in an ideal world, yes, teachers would be able to accommodate. But I also feel like as a parent, we're terrified that our child is going to be treated poorly as a result of the ADHD diagnosis, right? And I feel like, and, and as part of me feels like, oh, well, now we're just like buying into this, you know, we're, we're allowing the stigma and stereotype to continue because we are being so quiet and private about it. But at the same time, it's like, well, when it comes to my individual child, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be a social justice warrior when it comes to my individual child. Um, I'll, I'll just do it on the podcast instead, so, <laughs> you know, right? So it's like, we're making changes we're making changes in other places, but until, until it's better understood in the classroom, I don't know if, I don't know if, I don't know. Anyway, I think it's complicated. It is complicated. It's, it's funny that you said that, it, you know, you, it's easier to be social, social justice warrior on the podcast, but you can be an avid advocator, even at home, right? So the idea is, right. You simply kind of what you're probably already doing um, one of the things that we help parents do, it, it, you know, it, at my company, it's it's very much helping teachers in the school understand this continuity of care for your child. Right? Here's what works at home. Right? Um, teachers, when they're sending notes home, and we're sitting down to read, and your child is having a hard time sitting still or whatever it is, and then you know, you already know what works for your child. It, it's so interesting because. You can have all kinds of experts, coaches and therapists and all kinds of school counselors and all those people in and out of your lives as, as a parent, as a child, you know, people that come to help helpers, right? And they can have all the education in the world and all the, the, the best intentions and can be very well-meaning, but no one knows their child the way you do. <laughs> and so their, their job then is to come alongside of you and say, okay, What's working? What works for your specific child, right? Just kind of like you talked about, you know what works for your son and what's not going to work. And so whether you're leading with a diagnosis or not, being able to advocate with the teachers, right, and say, listen, what you're doing 
is, you know, he's reacting this way or he's not doing well in the situation because we have found that doing it this way works better for him. And, you know, the, the hope then, right, is that the teachers care enough to say, okay, you know, let's talk about this. You know, is there some way I can do that? Um, how can I make adjustments to the classroom or his schedule or what's happening that can make get that can make me I think that's where the 504s and the IEPs come in because it's the idea of it, it's very hard when you have a classroom full of 23 or 25 kids to kind of just make that that's kind of what you hear we can't make an, an adjustment for one kid but you can <laughs> you actually can and it's necessary because we're trying to help the we're trying to help these children be successful it's all about inclusion Right. That's what's it's always about that. Like, what, how can we make sure that this child gets what they need so they could be successful? And so I, for sure, you know, advocate, advocate, advocate. <laughs> I know. Right. And well, it makes me laugh because I feel like there are those old school teachers who roll their eyes at 504s where they're like, everybody wants a 504 these days. And you're like, yeah, everybody wants to be treated as an individual. Like, why is that so revolutionary? Right. <laughs> radical. Why is it so radical to feel like each child has their own way of learning? Um, because it's so antithetical to the classroom environment right now in, in American education. Oh, there I am on a soapbox again. Okay. <laughs> um, I want to stop because I want to talk about Taylor Glory. Um, so, and I, and congratulations on your podcast, by the way, I just, uh, I listened to your first episode um, of uh, the Vision Exchange podcast. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. It was a lovely conversation. And you guys talk about the the origin of the name Tailored Glory, which is the name of your consulting group. So can you just tell us about a little bit about the, the name? Sure, sure. So I came up with Tailored Glory. Glory is obviously like a spinoff of my name, Gloria. And I thought about I, the dictionary definition of tailored and glory and what they mean. And so the dictionary definition of tailored is created specifically for an individual, right? And glory being this idea of magnificence, um, pride in something that you've achieved, right? To, to, to have glory in something. And so when I think about coaching and helping children and families and adults kind of reach their goals, I want to make sure that we can help them tailor a program that is specifically for them. That's really just what we, we just had a conversation about, you know, in the school, it's not one size fits all. Like everything doesn't work for everyone. So really wanting to get to know our specific clients and what is it that works for you? What hasn't been working? What is it that you need? Right. And then helping you kind of work towards your goals so that you can feel as though you've you've achieved what you wanted to achieve. And so our, you know, we use this tagline, you know, let us help you tailor a life that you can be proud of, right? Then you can take pride in your achievements and things that you've done. And so that's kind of where that name comes from, <laughs> wanting to help people do that. Awesome. I love it. So, And, and I love how varied or holistic the approach is with the, with the group, right? So it's like everybody, um, there's four of you currently, right? Correct. Yes. Four of you but I love how each one of the experts in the group has such a different approach, you know, that it just feels like such a nice holistic patchwork view. And I feel like that's something in terms of neurodivergent experience. One of the things I feel is so important is to have those places where we can go, where you feel like you can have, 
you're handheld, for lack of a better word, through so many different processes. Uh, and, you know, so many of us get diagnosed and we go to the doctor's office and they're like, yep, you have ADHD, here's some medication, goodbye. And then you're like left to your own devices, right? So, so I love seeing more um, opportunities to feel like you are being helped, you know, or, or held, right, in terms of this treatment plan. A treatment plan is not just medication. It's all the things <laughs> uh, and all the things we've talked about. So, um, yeah, I just I, I just wanted to say that it's awesome how everybody seems to have such this varied approach. And, and I think it, it's such a wonderful resource to have. So, um, yeah, how can people so it's it's called tailoredglory.com. And it's really work you sort of I'm you tell me about how it, we talked about the executive functioning coaching, but there's also some other things that you work with with people, right? So they could be with anything. And so we're talking about weight loss, we're talking about, you know, relationships, it could be, you know, again, your career, um, where, do you want, where do you want to go next, in, you know, in your career or building a business for yourself, or whatever it is. And so whatever someone is kind of wanting someone to come alongside them and say, okay, I need to get from this step to the next one. And I don't know what to do next. And so that's kind of what we do. And I, I do love what you said about my team, right? The team that's there, um, everyone has a different, like, like I said, a different specialty. We've got um, Jamie who does health and wellness coaching. And so she's all about like healthy lifestyle, exercising and nutrition, right? And so the, you know, if medication is not the way, but eating healthy helps, you know, it helps, <laughs> you know, it really helps, you know, um, making sure that you're getting exercise or getting outside and moving and all of those things. And so, you know, she focuses, focuses a lot on that. Um, we have Nicole who is, you know, we call her mom extraordinaire. That's kind of <laughs> our, 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 our nickname for her is, and she's got four children at home and she's also got a daughter that is all DHD. So she has autism and ADHD together. And, um, she's just, um, amazing at being able to tailor her family and what they do in their, their home life to kind of make sure that her daughter can be successful and feel not have to worry about the, the that stigma that you're talking about and, and, and giving her the tools that she needs to, to overcome some of those things and to advocate for herself. And, and so, she's great at coming alongside parents, right? That are kind of struggling with, okay, now we have this diagnosis, what do we do? Um, and then we have Anae who um, is, um, she's a PhD and she's been with us. She um, has been working with children for many, many years. And so again, her specialty is really just um, looking at what other people see as deficits and problem behaviors and really understanding that, no, these are children that need extra support and, you know, being able to put things in place to kind of, to kind of, um, help. And so, yeah, you can find us, um, our website is, like you said, www.tailoredglory.com. We're also on Instagram at tailoredglory. And so if you need help, <laughs> we're here for you. Now, do you guys work as a team ever with individuals or with families or do families come and kind of they choose one of you based on what their most imminent needs are because I feel like I, I don't know I'm like brainstorming I'm like feeling like you could do like coaching like group coaching powerhouse sessions with all four of you because you all bring so much to the table that would be great <laughs> <laughs> we are thinking about doing it right now we do individual coaching um but yeah, we are just talking about doing group coaching and pulling all the resources together because you're right. You know, everyone has like a different um, background experience and 
um, knowledge and bringing it all together to group coaching for kids or for families is something that we would love to do. And so if anyone has an interest in doing that, maybe you should do that. Kind of put feelers out there to see if there's an interest for group coaching. Is absolutely, that would be a great idea. We've been talking about it. Right. Well, especially when it comes to executive function and coaching, I feel like um, there's always one of the things that I find with my own group coaching experience is how resourceful everybody in the group is. So that opportunity, like people are there to learn. But I think that one of the great things about group coaching is that people teach what works for them. Right. And I think like as neurodivergence, we're always like, that's how we research, right? We, we, we research by crowdsourcing. Um, you know, cause the first thing we do is like go to YouTube or go to Facebook and try to, you know, when we have a question. And so it's like, I feel like that group coaching dynamic is so perfectly set up for like group think hive mind kind of thing. So yeah. And finding people, finding your people, right? Cause that's the thing, you know, you need to find your people. That's, you know, you, the, the, the tribe that you feel comfortable in and you all understand me. And so, you know, I you also, you know, talk to kids about that as well. Like find everyone's not going to be your friend. That's okay. <laughs> Find your people. <laughs> right? Exactly. If you've ever had a problem, like if you've ever felt like you'd had a difficult time um, meeting, making friends or connecting to people, it's like get into a room with other neurodivergents and you'll be like, oh my God, I'm home. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Right? I know. It's such a huge, I always say that I'm like finding each other and finding community is one of the most important parts of our, our of our treatment plan is, is being able to validate each other and listen to each other and um, share our stories like here, like you just did on the podcast. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Um, Well, that's so awesome. I'm so glad I found you and I love what you're doing. And I, I really, I'm, I'm such a huge proponent of combining coaching and therapeutic and the therapeutic Alliance. And I think it's, I think it's so wonderful to, to be able to kind of, say, I've been there and I understand what you're going through. Um, but also, you know, coming up with some, some strategies and, and for moving forward and some of the, some of the, um, you put it better. So I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. So just, you know, some of the, some of the like support, um, in terms of what are those next steps, right? Thinking about executive function in terms of like, it's just, a bunch of steps. We just have to figure out which one to take first and then next, and then we'll do it together. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you, Gloria. This has been lovely. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Yeah. So I'll have all those links in the show notes, but um, yeah. Are you working on anything exciting coming up for the fall? Not that you don't have a million things on your to-do list already, but... We are definitely working on doing some things kind of here. We are in Pennsylvania and well, actually I'm in Pennsylvania, but we work with people all over the country, all over the country. And so doing some things locally um, with some of the schools here, Um, we have our podcast. And so we do the podcast that you listen to that's on our website and we post that that's actually it's on Spotify and that's on Apple podcast, right? And so it's called the Vision Exchange. Taylor Glory presents the Vision Exchange. But one thing that I've also done too, one of the things that I love, there's just there's um music kind of calms me down and kind of helps me and there's a certain I, I a certain kind of music I listen to and I don't really know what it's called. I guess they call it like lo-fi, I guess maybe what it is. I call it the groovy music basically. <laughs> it's kind of how I described it. And I started to think to myself, it's the kind of music that I use to drive to and, and do tasks to. And it 
it, it struck me that other people might like that as well. And so I decided to do a countdown, right? And so every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we release what I consider the Vision Exchange. I call it the, the wind down, the gear up countdown. And so it's for you to wind down from your week and then gear up for next week and do all the things that you need to do. And we kind of just do that old school style <laughs> on the radio and just play all of those groovy songs that kind of help people focus. And so we play lots of like classical and binaural beats and level five beats. And we just, you know, and so that's something that you know people can check out as well on Sunday evenings to kind of help you to get ready to, you know, get ready for I love that. So is it, how do we find it? Is, do you go onto Spotify? It's actually, yep, yeah, it's on Spotify. And so if you type in Taylor Glory or type in the Vision Exchange, because it, you know, or it's called the Wind Down Gear Up Pod um, Countdown. So that's a lot, actually. <laughs> but it's under our, our Taylor Glory podcast, right? It's under the Vision Exchange. And as, so. as playlists? Oh, awesome. Okay, I'll put a link to that too. That sounds so fun. That's Sunday nights and it's 9 p.m. Eastern. It releases at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can listen to it all week, but it won't, it won't be The live. new ones come out. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Gloria. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for having me. I really had a good time talking to you. Thank you so much. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.